lift your hand and uh, Chris will give you one. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark 3. Bibles and know your devices. Football games help start till later. Cowboys are out of you shouldn't be here. Those of you who want to get it. Alright. Well, we mentioned before we get started, if you have interest in our next preset Bible study, I'll be leading on Wednesday nights here at 30 and Sunday night at Martin at 6. Please see Mary around my office afterwards. Myself. Get on the list and find out how many books order if you're interested in doing that. Alright, Mark chapter 3. We've been talking for the last uh, several weeks, off and on, and last week we were focusing on Jesus' purpose in parables, his method of teaching, why he was doing what he was trying to accomplish in teaching in parables to move people from being fans. Huge crowds that were flocking and seeing that over and over again. Mark focuses on his public ministry. He wants to move them from fans to followers. And he wants us to understand applicably as we, we study the Word of God. One of the things we need to understand is God is not interested in anything but our hearts. I, I would say to him, Here I am, Lord, send me, presenting ourselves a living sacrifice unto him. He doesn't expect you to be the most articulate person in the world. The reason I know that is I know me. He, he gives you the way he wants you to be. He, he knew you before he created the universe. He knew who you would be. He had a plan for you. And he's in the process of working that plan out. And if I'm born again, my goal is, Lord, what do you want from me? And then do it. So my, my class this morning, apparently, Phil and I, Found your Nike had it right all along. Just do it. Did a very biblical thing he was seeking when he came up with his swoosh. Just do it. The message of the book of James is those of you that have faith, do it. And so, if you look at the parables, what Jesus was trying to accomplish was twofold. One, he had a huge crowd, and he wanted to whet their appetite and get their interest. And what he had to say beyond what he could do for them physically, beyond what he could do for them in the moment, beyond what Jesus could do simply for me. And by the way, there are a lot of theologians that are preachers today that have never gotten past that themselves. But their entire theology, their entire presentation, supposedly from the Word of God and about Jesus Christ is, you can have whatever you want. Jesus is simply your cosmic genie waiting to give to you whatever you desire. No, no, he's not. He's God, supreme over all. And if you're born again, he's your savior. And what he wants is for you to be in the center of his will. And he'll give you what you need, and he'll give you the most important thing. And that's what Jesus was always focusing on. Stop thinking about the physical and focus on the spiritual. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And what false teachers have done now through the intervening centuries is taken more abundantly to mean money and health. Never what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about abundant life in the sense of peace, hope, a reason 
reason for living and eternal life when you die. And in the interim, I would give some people a lot of money. I would give other people a small amount of money. And then you just steward what I give to you. Some are going to be healthier than others. How do you glorify me in the midst of your pain? How do you point people to me in the midst of your difficulty? Because I am not. We exist. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That's why we're on the planet. Why he made man in the first place. That's why Jesus came to redeem us and buy that back. Paradise lost. Adam and Eve, paradise regained in Jesus Christ. That's why he came. So that we might know God. So when he begins to teach in parables, what he's trying to do is to say to these huge crowds. And again, every time we study the Bible, we need to leave from that study, whether it's corporately or individually. I need to get up from that study and say, all right, well, what do you want me to do with what I've just learned? If you just learn it, you're wasting your time. God expects you to apply it, to change, and then do something with it to glorify God in the midst of a pagan world that doesn't know God. They come up with concepts of God. They don't know me. Those of us who are born again, we know God. We are children. We are salt and light, as we talked about last week. So Jesus teaches in parables to get their attention to the crowd, the fans, who only want what Jesus can give them in the moment, to whet their appetite for more truth, so they will seek more truth. And the more they seek, the more he'll give, and eventually bring them to a moment of faith where they're born again and they tra they're translated into fans to follow them. Now those of us who are saved, who are born again, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, very, very uh, cheap these days, not to use the term Christian, but to use Christ follower. And that's right. Same thing. If I'm a Christian, if I'm a Christ follower, then I've been, I have moved kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so when I read a parable, Jesus wants me to go further, wants me to go deeper as a follower to learn what he's trying to communicate, the depth of that parable, to then go out and share with my world or in my home, as I am discipling my own children, to get them beyond the simplicity and even for us as adults. I'm not supposed to be maturing nonstop. No, stop. I just turned 63 this week. This week, I became 63 years old. I'm thinking back over all the decades that I've lived. And how things have changed since the 50s. I still, I was talking to my aunt last week. I remember visiting my grandmother, her mom, my mom's mom, in Wigginton, Tennessee. And I loved to go up there for a lot of reasons, primarily because my grandfather was So, I remember we'd be sitting around in their living room, very poor, that wallpaper with newspaper and things like that. It didn't have, had an outhouse, and you had to go during the night, uh, went in a chamber pot, and they had, didn't have plumbing. So, I remember, I loved going to my grandparents. And one of the things I loved was on Sunday afternoons, we would sit around, they had a phone, but they had a party line for that area. And our grandmother would let us listen in on the little old lady. 
understand that. In the context of the book of Mark, the context of the Gospels, the context of history, Jesus is speaking almost exclusively to Jews. And the kingdom of God was incredibly important to Jews. They thought the Messiah was going to come, overthrow the Romans in this case, in this moment in history, and set up the kingdom on earth that they would reign with the Messiah. Now that will happen one day, but not then. So what Jesus is doing in the parables is really important if you read through the gospel so you understand parables. What he's doing in the parables is explaining to them, remember he's just preached the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached about the principles of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those things all are from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying to that huge crowd of Jews, it's not what you think it is, and it's not what the Pharisees tell you it is. It's not about physical. It's not about material. It's not about this earth. It is about spiritual. It's about the next life. It's about having the next life in this life. It's about you inwardly. So all of these parables, he's trying to get them to understand the difference between kingdom on earth and kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. And that's why you see him say over and over again in the gospel. You need to read them all to get the, the, the full picture. Especially John, you see him say over and over, I was sent from where? I was sent from above. I am the sent one. The Father sent me. It's all about the Father's will. Over and over and over again, he reminds them it's about heaven. It's not about earth. It's about spiritual. It's not about physical. So as you get into the parables, please understand that overarching principle. He's teaching them of parables about the kingdom. Now for the fans, the non-believers, He's wanting them to say, I want to be part of the kingdom. I want to know more. And to draw them so that they can learn more and be drawn to a relationship with Christ and be part of the kingdom. For those of us who are born again, who are in the kingdom, you want them to understand the depth of that knowledge, get it, and then go share it with your fans so that they will want more. We call that today witnessing. What is a witness? Somebody sharing their testimony about what? They've seen, what they've experienced. Same thing. So let's start with the first parable in the book of Mark. It's a parable about the strong man. Remember, it's talking about parables. It's important. Start in verse 22. 322. The scribe who came down from Jerusalem said, He, talking about Jesus, has beheld the love. And by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. Now notice the context. Scribes had come down from Jerusalem. This is about a 90-mile trip. <laughs> Why are they coming all the way from Jerusalem to where Jesus is? We've seen it over and over over the last few weeks, months. We've seen how many people are following him to hear what he's got to say. Thousands. Everybody's flocking to him because he's healing people. He's doing these incredible things. And they're all coming. Now Jesus is teaching. So the scribes are coming from Jerusalem they got to see, number one, what this is all about. Number two, they got to straighten this out. They cannot have this false Messiah drawing away their people. So they are up 
name Jesus of. They come from Jerusalem and they say, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub, he cast out demons. We've already seen Jesus is casting out demons. We've seen him hitting people several times. You see, remember, he's on the public ministry, him casting out demons. Now, notice, get the mental picture. It's very important historically. These people have come from Jerusalem. In other words, they come from the home office. When I was sitting in the video a years ago, our home office was in Cleveland, Ohio. And the worst possible thing you could know is, or know you get in the mail or the phone call you would get, that so-and-so is coming down from Cleveland to ride with you this week when you visit their towns. I didn't care that the guy came from Cleveland. I didn't care that they were going with me to see my account as a religion. What I hated is I had to go back the next week and spread that everything they messed up. You're in sales and probably don't mess up. But one time here, I'll tell you a quick story, we'll move on. Uh, I was with a guy, I wasn't with Hallmark, I was with the other company, the big one. Hallmark, so I was with them too. Well, one of our, we tried forever to get Goldsmiths. Remember Goldsmiths before making the ticket market before? And, and Hallmark had it forever. And I had finally gotten an appointment with the buyers and Goldsmiths, the decision makers. In sales, you always want to get to the dude who makes the decision, that's the goal. So I finally got an appointment with the guy. I was going to go in and see him, present our company. I had everything worked out. Cleveland found out I had this appointment. What they do? They sent somebody from Cleveland, Ohio, to Memphis, Tennessee, to go in and talk to the buyer for Joseph and Memphis, and for me just tag along. They were going to get this account. If you go in Macy's today, or if you went and go to the back, and that's not 1978, you saw American Green product, you saw Hallmark. You saw Hallmark. Now, I don't know that I would have gotten the account, but guess what? I sure would have messed it up the way they did. And it was, it was hilarious. We, we, we're driving there, because I think it was impressive. Referring to 
with Satan as king of the underworld. So literally, what are they accusing Jesus of? Casting out demons by the power of who? Satan. So they're saying to the Jews, the only reason he has the power is that he's demonic. He's, he is being controlled by Satan himself. That's why he can do these amazing things. So it was a common ploy of the Pharisees who be throughout the gospel. They could not deny or refute what Jesus was teaching or what he was doing, his words or his works. They could not refute the message, but what did they do? They attacked the messenger. By the way, that's still what people do today. We're presented with a logical presentation in the case of objective reality about who Jesus Christ was. You have to come away saying exactly who he said he was. They don't do that. In fact, that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They're saying he's demonic. We, so, let's look at Jesus' defense, verse 23. Scribe came down to Jerusalem and said he has to be held above, verse 23. So Jesus called them to himself. The scribes are there, the other people are there, and he said to them in parables. Here it is. Here's his first parable. How can Satan pass out Satan? The kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it has an end. An end. No one can enter a strong man's house, that is Satan in the parable, and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, that would be Satan. And then he will plunder his house. So here's Jesus' defense in the parable. He calls him to himself and presents his defense. The phrase called him to himself in Greek means it's like you've got your adversary in court and you're now asking him questions. That's what Jesus is doing. So he says to them in parable, How can Satan pass out Satan? So without going through the meaning of the verses again, here's basically what he said. Number one, a divided kingdom cannot stand. Number two, a divided house cannot stand. Number three, a divided Satan cannot stand. So Jesus is basically making two points to the scribes who are accusing him of being demon-possessed and casting out demons because he's controlled by Satan. Jesus' point number one. Why would Satan cast out demons? That would defeat his purpose. He wants demons to possess people. He wants demons to control people. He wants demons to keep people away from truth and spiritual reality. So why would, if I am possessed by Satan or controlled by Satan, why would I cast out demons? We got them. We don't. That doesn't make sense. Logically. Point number two. Satan rules by fear and terror. He would never give one of his minions, in this case, Jesus, this incredible power. So Jesus says, verse 27, the reason I can do this is that I, Jesus, am the stronger man. Therefore, I can, notice verse 27, I can plunder Satan's goods, and I can bind him. Why? Because I am stronger than him. I am greater than him. He's the strong man, but I'm what? Stronger man. By the way, there's a whole theology out there today that you personally can bind Satan and tell him what to do. No, you can't. You're not stronger than him. Who is? I will tell you 1 John 4 4. Greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. God created Satan. Satan is a created being. He's incredibly powerful. 
where God is omnipotent. So Jesus can cast him out. Jesus can bind him. Jesus can defeat him and did defeat him at the cross and at the resurrection. But you can't. So what do you do? You trust Christ. You listen to the Holy Spirit. And you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. According to scripture. But if you're resisting the devil, who are you submitting to? The Holy Spirit. That's the key. So Jesus now gives him a warning in verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, by the way, you will see that phrase throughout the gospel. Jesus saying, either truly, truly, or assuredly, I say to you, very important to note, every time he says that, what he's saying is, I, who have absolute authority, am about to speak absolute truth to you. Pay attention. So he says, Assuredly, I say to you, verse 28. All sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whoever blasphemes, blasphemes, and whatever blasphemes they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. And notice the context in which Jesus says. He's talking about here, it's become something theologians and Christians love to argue about and fight about. What's the unforgivable sin? That's where that comes from, this passage right here. But note the context, verse 30. Why does Jesus say that? Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Jesus wanted them to understand. You're saying I'm possessed by a demon. You're missing the whole point. He's saying, Jesus said, I want you to understand. The only sin that God cannot forgive is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 29 again. He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because he said he has an unclean spirit. When the demons were cast, we're going to go back and go through all this and just get a sense of what Jesus is trying to communicate. When the demons were cast out of heaven along with Satan, the Bible tells us their condemnation was set. Their judgment is done. They will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Separated from God. So they're saying Jesus is possessed by one of those unclean spirits. Therefore, his destiny would be what? Eternal condemnation. Jesus said, No. You, you, you misunderstand. The only thing that can keep you separated from God is ultimate, final rejection of the Holy Spirit. That's where it will come from. Not one particular moment in your life. How many of us are born sinners? All. How many of us did Jesus die for on the cross? Oh, he paid the price for sin. He conquered sin and death. When he rose from the dead, he eternally conquered sin and death. By faith in him, what he accomplished at the cross, we can be born again and we enter his family. We talked about several times. We become a Christ follower. But if I ultimately reject him and say, no, I want nothing to do with you, the pulling of the Holy Spirit, the, the tugging of my heart, the drawing to me, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is ultimately and finally saying, I want nothing to do with you, Christ, and entering into eternity without him. I want you to flip over for a moment in your Bible to John chapter 15. John 15, verse 26. 
Remember, Jesus is teaching in the parables. For the fans, he wanted them to understand. It's not what the scribes were telling you about. For the followers, he wanted to take them deeper. We saw last week he does. He takes them aside later and explains the depth of what he's trying to do again. Don't let the scribes come in and confuse these people to say that I have a demon. Don't let that happen. Explain to them, I am God. This is being done by the power of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But then John 15, I'll show you an example of him taking this deeper. In John 15, this is the last night Jesus is on the planet. We call it the upper room discipline. John 13 through 17. He's, he's got these 11 guys together. Judas is going to betray him. He has these 11 guys together who are going to carry on his ministry with the beginning. It's called the church. They're going to turn the world upside down. We're still living in that church age today. We sit here and stand here today. We're in the church age that Jesus is instituting. So he's got them together. And he's teaching them principles to carry on after he's gone. And one of the primary principles that he teaches them, we're about to look at, is I am leaving you. And they do not want him to go. They are terrified. They want him to stay. They're now trusting. They want to follow him. He's the Messiah. They want him to stay in the center of the kingdom. He's taking them deep. He's saying, I've got to go away. This is the plan. And in John 14, prior to this, you ought to know great words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, number one, I go to prepare a place for you. Number two, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And number three, where I am, there you may be also. I'm leaving. I'm going to get your place ready. By the way, the whole picture is Jesus waiting for everyone to do. And we'll come back and get you. And then we're going to go to the Father's house and be together how long? That's exactly what the Jewish wedding ceremony for a year to get a place ready in the Father's house to be a witness to God. You. That's what he's saying to us. Get the picture. You're my bride. Go away. Get everything ready at the Father's house. We'll come get you. We're going to be together forever. Let not your heart be troubled. Why does he say that? Their heart is troubled. They did not want him to go. So now, in that same night, in that same house, in that same time of teaching, as he's taking them deeper, notice what he says to them in John 15, starting in verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, here it is, the Trinity, the Helper comes, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You need to write in your Bible next to verse 26. Grab the Bible of the person next to you and write in their Bible. The Trinity. There it is. People say the Trinity is never found in the Bible. You've never seen the word. You'll say things like this over and over. There it is. When the Helper comes, the Helper, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, um, I, God the Son, will send to you from God the Father. He's the Spirit of what? What did Jesus said seven chapters earlier in John chapter 8? Truth shall. I'm going to send you the spirit of 
John 14, I am the truth. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. So important. The fruit is just lost in our culture. It's all become relative. True beauty is not true for me. Paul told Pamela, the great book that the title, True Beauty is not true for me. There's certain things that are absolutely true. But Jesus said, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. Notice what he's going to do. He will proceed from the Father. Now notice the end of verse 26. That spirit that I'm going to send to you from the Father, that spirit will testify of what? Look at the end of verse 26. It will testify of me. Who's me? Jesus of Christ. He's saying, yes, I'm going away. I'm going to send you the spirit. That spirit is going to testify of me. Verse 27. And you, my followers, will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Did you see that verse? Please don't miss it. Notice what Jesus is saying to them. I'm going away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's also God. I'm God. In another place, in the same discourse, he says, he's a, he's a helper in Greek just like me. I'm God. I've been with you. I'm going away. Now, the Father is going to send God the Spirit. He's also going to be with you. And by the way, in the same discourse, he also says, I want to be with you. We'll be where? In you. See, I'm not, I've just been with you. He's going to be in you. And he will testify of me. Things I've been teaching you. In other places, in the same discourse, he says, The things I taught you, he will bring your mind. Teach you all things about me. Please don't miss this. So then he says, Verse 27, this is the end of it again. You have been with me from the beginning. Remember when I called you back here to see a Galilee, and you left your nets, and you left your boat, and I called you, Matthew, and stopped being a tax collector. You started following me, and, I left, and you left everything behind to follow me. This is why I had you with me. You've got a great task. You've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Now I'm going away. I'm going to send God, God the Holy Spirit will be sent to you by the Father, from the Father, by me. He can remind you and testify about me if I'm the truth. And then you're going to go out. You're going to go out, verse 27, and bear witness. Bear witness. You get verse 7, chapter 16, drop down to there. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Or if I do not go away, the helper, that spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Says it again. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, this is talking back to what we've been talking about the parable of the strong man. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to convict the world. Notice verse 8. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You are a sinner, but righteousness is available. Judgment awaits you. Reject that. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. By the way, who's the Holy Spirit going to do that through? The followers that are testifying of Jesus. Those 11 and us, the church, is going to testify. Verse 8. When he says, come, he will convict. Verse 9. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the 
is the ruler of this world? Who is it? It's Satan. It's the Beelzebub that the scribes accused Jesus of being possessed by. He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world about these things, and one of them is that Satan has been judged. I'm not doing what I do. Satan, I'm from Satan, I'm doing it as righteousness. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict the world of that. The fans are out there. And you followers will know that. We talked about a couple of weeks of the mystery that we as Christians understand lawlessness. We understand ungodliness. We understand mysteries of life because we know we know the word of God. Now look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. You cannot bear them now. They continue to teach. 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. But he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. There's the Trinity again. You see it? They're mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. I don't know if I've done a good enough job of communicating this to you today, but please get to the point. That moment in history was so significant. Other than the resurrection, there is probably no more significant moment. Because he's saying to them, Boys, you want to talk to God, the Holy Spirit, has come to talk to you. Because he's with you, just like I did. He'll be in you, unlikely. You're going to go out and testify to the whole world. Scribes and these false teachers come, they're going to come. When they come, they say this when you told them they're going to kick you out of the synagogue, they're going to kill you. It's going to happen. But always understand it's about truth. It's about truth. And you see it several times here the Holy Spirit will always testify about Jesus. Any spirit that points you to anything else other than Jesus as righteousness is not of God. Only Jesus Christ can give you righteousness. Only Jesus Christ can set you free. Only Jesus Christ can restore your dead life. The Holy Spirit's going to do that for you. The church age is about to begin, and we are still So just prior to Jesus leaving the planet, the last thing he said was, I want you to go where? All the world and be blessed. Make disciples. Learners. You teach them what I taught you. See? That's paradise. They've heard about me. You know anybody haven't heard of Jesus? Somebody has somebody. Very rare. Do they really understand who he is? You do. 
go out and you share with all the people who Jesus really is. And it will be hard. Make it really clear. It will be hard. Many of you will die. Please stand.